What's up, everybody? My name is Brandon McCollum, also known as BMXC, and this is Nice Minds. I'm with a very, 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 and I say very special guest, Claude Collada. What's up, my dude? What's up, B? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So I've known Claude for... Over 20 years. 20 years now, actually, yeah. 20 years this year, because I moved to Maple Grove, I want to say... Um, it was around our birthday. It was around our birthday. Our our birthdays are six days apart. So, yeah, we met at Maple Grove Senior High, and we hit it off. I mean, because we had a bunch of mutual friends, because my friend Josh went to Maple Grove. He moved to Maple Grove before I did from Plymouth, and you started kicking it with Josh. And so, like, right when I got to Maple Grove, you were like, oh, new kid, what's up? Um, <laughs> I was new, too. <laughs> I mean, because you were new the year before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause so you moved from Baton Rouge. I moved from Birmingham. From Birmingham I grew up in Baton right, Rouge. That's right. I lived in Birmingham I for a year, about that. and I went to art school there. And then uh, I came out in ninth grade. So 1999, I came out as a lesbian. And then it was really hard to go from this art school to a really white suburban middle school and so any friends and then high school so any friends that i had that were like oh no yeah that's you know that's fine that's a fine thing i was like okay tight we're gonna hang out and you were just one of those people that was like oh cool that's my <laughs> you know that's my gay friend now <laughs> hell yeah yeah i mean because you were you were the first one that i ever knew that had come out i mean i i know i had had friends you know that i found out late later um that they were, you know, gay or whatever, but you were the first one that actually I was like, oh shit. And I was you, aggressively out. Yeah. Just very aggressively. <laughs> I mean, it was dope. I mean, For 2001. <laughs> and you, I mean, you really taught me a lot about that, you know. Yeah. I mean, all of it, yeah. really. I mean, there were times where I was the only straight dude at, at certain parties that we would go to. And it, it didn't bother me. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was cool to me because I was just, I was learning because it's something that like I never as, as a straight dude, I never have had to think about before, you know, and it, it forced me to think about certain things. Cause you, you know, you became the, I mean, we became good friends like right away, right away, like instantly. Well, right. No. So, uh, you would like just come to my defense right away when you know because there was a fair amount of like bullying bullshit yep. and whatever and like um so around the time i was 16 um i was talking to my counselor and and they were like you know the way you present and like you keep talking about like wanting to be a boy like you know that there's this thing called transgender right and i was like what no i don't know i didn't know that and it took me a, a lot longer to like decide to transition uh, medically and, and physically. Mm -hmm. But the first time I ever went into a men's room, because I was like, the girls' room is just, it's like utter torture. It's terrible. And I you bet, were like, I can't fuck imagine, that. Yeah. It was after school. And you were like, nah, man, I got you. And you just, uh, you just stood and guarded the door. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's true. Um, I didn't realize until you brought that up that that was your first time. Yeah. You know, using the men's room and then i mean you you kind of did regularly after that or semi-regularly right after school like when we were just hanging out and there was no one there and we were doing theater or whatever yeah but during the school day it wasn't possible because i wasn't always with someone safe and it you know it was 2001 it was a real different really different really time. different um i didn't start regularly using the men's room actually until 
2006. Oh, really? Yeah. So like a couple years after we graduated and um and I started like using a chest binder and like presenting more uh you know just assertively as male. But I also remember you started uh Sage in high school, um Straits and Gays for Equality. It stands for something else, right? Uh, now? uh I'm not sure what what it stands for now. I, the at the so at the time there was an LGBT group at school LGBT LGBT yeah LGBT because that's all it was back then we yep. didn't have Q plus whatever but the 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 group was uh entirely private you couldn't tell anybody who else belonged to it you could say that you belonged to it and I was just so out and so loud and I was trying to meet girls honestly yeah <laughs> so um so I I brought up with our guidance counselor um, that would be nice to have something more like a gay straight alliance. Hey, y'all, we're right by the airports. So there might be plane noise overhead. The plane ambiance. Everyone's it's you know it's like a roaring for a few seconds. Um, I I just want to be more active. Is there a way to do that? And she was like, Well, yeah, you've heard of gay straight alliances. We could do something like that. Um, and I was like, Yeah, but let's not call it a GSA. So we yeah we called it Straights and Gays for Equality, and we had a. Our symbol was a pie, like a physical pie. We would like bring a pie to every meeting, and we cut it up because I remember that equal, part. Come yeah. for the come for the come for the pie, stay for the equality. Was our was our tagline. <clears throat> That's amazing. Uh, silly. I don't I don't know if you could get away with it because everything is so much more nuanced now. But at the time, it was kind of it was a little bit radical. Yeah. Once it started getting out there that we had formed that group, I mean, it it was like a a big deal and people started wearing like straight pride shirts and shit. Well, so the story with that, it was a big deal. Um, because I wanted to be more activist. So like the week we launched, right. That's when the graffiti started going up, you know, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, fuck faggots, whatever. I started finding uh, godhatesfags.com in the search history on the school computers, and the, which is how I found out about the Westboro Baptist Church. It's always a fun story. Um, but, you know, like, like it got a little, I mean, that's all sort of minor compared to, it got a little bit threatening. It's, yeah. It started getting a little threatening. And so um, I asked if we could do like the the you know the gay visibility week where you did a day of silence and you did a day of um uh like where you put up statistics of stuff and you just tried to celebrate you know queer youth and like get more get more mm -hmm. information out there and um we had some posters up of like suicide rates and homelessness so anyway all of these little aryan fuckboys that one of the days they all wore these straight pride signs around their necks and one of them dropped them in gym class and I picked it up and for like as an act of protest I'm not even sure what I was thinking I was 15 so I you know um I wore I wore it for most of the day and then I got to one of my classes and they were like what are you doing wearing that homophobic bullshit and I'm like you obviously know I'm gay there is no way that you don't know that I am the gayest person at this school. Literally some goth kids wrote a manifesto about how gay kids are allowed to be too loud at this school. Like, you, there's no way you don't know I'm gay. Do you remember that? There was goth kids? That yeah, yeah, there was some goth kids that were like, they, they, did, they, were, they were real angry about everything and they, they were like, 
you might hear a you know a lesbian playing the harmonica in the halls <laughs> about Jeez. about girls real loud. <laughs> Uh, was I was very annoying. I, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I was, I was a theater kid yep. to the max. Yep. Facts. I mean, you were never annoying to me, but, um, yeah, I remember those um straight pride shirts, and I remember going up to one dude and just straight up pointing at his shirt and being like, "Fuck that!" And <laughs> turns out, years later, that dude came out. So I can't imagine what sort of like yeah closet torment he must have been. Oh, I can. He he was a very nice person. If you're watching this, you probably aren't. But if you're watching this, you're the guy who yeah who told me that you know the nine eleven was that was going to be uh, the Taliban and not the Ayatollah. Good call. You knew. So thank you for that. Oh, that was that dude yeah. that said that. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I just remember that just being like a moment where I, I what the fuck. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't do anything but just support you through that. I mean, because, like, you were the homie and you totally opened up my eyes. Then you ended up going to another school the following year. Yes, um, I went back to art school. So yeah, it was Perpich. after after junior year. Yeah, it was my senior, senior year. Senior year, yeah. And then you ended up at Perpich, which, which was dope because we ended up, like, meeting a lot of, like, cool people and yeah. having, you know, dope parties, actually. Yeah. Like, we yeah. would end up at my house a lot, actually, with kids that went to your school. Well, your parents, your parents had were, the, they were they always had gone. The full bar, and they were always gone. They were always gone, <laughs> and they had the full bar. You're right. You're right. That is facts. And yeah, and I just remember some of the best times was were with you know in high school were with like you and you know that crew. I would say, um, and but I mean around that time too, there's there's like I was thinking about this earlier today. There's a good like between five and 10 people that like, I really consider like foundational to my like music and creative, you know, upbringing. You're one of those people because you and I actually would, would write together. Like, yeah. Me, you and D-Rock. Yeah. Me, you yeah. and, and D-Rock. Yep. And D-Rock would, would like make the, the, the techno rap beats or whatever. And yeah, I, I started writing lyrics and you were already like really, I mean, I feel like seasoned writer at, you know, 16, 17. I I uh so I learned to write writing love letters to a girl in Alabama, and love letters are a great way to learn to write because, um, you're just kind of like pouring it all out of you, and you know poetry and metaphor are like acceptable, and it's not just like a list of facts about your day. Right. It's it's a creative process. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I was seasoned, but I had, I mean, for when I moved here, I wrote I wrote to her every day for like four to six months like a long i remember that yeah long time and uh oh no that was a different, that was a oh, different okay. girl that was a different i was one. writing every okay. day also in alabama right. <laughs> yes uh i started when i started taking creative writing class sophomore year um i took it my junior year too uh i could just i could just like pick up somebody else's thing and be like oh hey if you switch this here and if you like cut that like it's gonna be good i started getting paid a little bit I could I a few times I got like five or ten bucks for editing somebody's creative writing piece nice. just on the fly in yep. study hall, and um, and so yeah when you start bringing me your stuff it, you know it was pretty good you it you were definitely learning your voice and bound to your influences and uh, and so it was I uh, 
maybe arrogantly was just like, hey, if you just kind of if you do if you say it this way instead, I think it'll be more clear and I think it'll be more of like, a you know, like more fun or more whatever yep. thing you're trying to get across. And then you come back with something that was much better. So, um, yeah, for sure. I love writing with you. And I liked I kind of I learned I don't produce. I'm not a producer, but I learned something about producing sitting in that basement with you listening to what you know what d was doing on his computer and listening to like the way that you were delivering things and being like hey what if you tried it like this or like hey what yep. if you added this thing and um that was really foundational to uh being in bands later and being in the studio later and like knowing how to go in and get it done like just go in and, and get it done and we can you know get out 10 songs in two days and just have it be pretty good and right um would not have happened without that wow relationships i didn't realize that and that that does it seems to happen every every episode that i do with a good friend i learn something about myself that you know like i didn't realize before and i i guess i i guess i don't really think about just how foundational i also was to other people's you know careers or you know creativity or whatever. i think about it i think about working with you all the time i can't really think of specifics but just like every once in a while when i'm thinking about writing or when i'm thinking about oh i need to do this with my band my mind will just go back like um the day somebody threatened to punch you in the balls in that (laughs) basement somebody threatened to punch you in the balls and again you couldn't get away with this now but i like cupped your balls and i was like (laughs) you don't touch his balls and you were like i've never felt so protected and it was like very <laughs> awkward and silly but like there was it wasn't like it was it was too, were they being dudes being silly dudes. or were they being no he real? was well you know when you're 15 you don't 16 you don't always know the difference yeah and so somebody could think they're being silly and still might actually punch you in the balls right okay. it was that kind of thing i, I don't remember <laughs> that it probably was josh or somebody <laughs> like I could see Josh fucking doing that. It was some. It was somebody. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that at all. But that's fucking hilarious. So, um, yeah. So I mean, not too long after we left high school, you started turn back now, right? How long was that? So at first, I was trying to do hip hop because that's what I knew from working with you, and I thought that I could. You know, spoken word was a really huge deal. Two thousand three to two thousand five, um, you saw a lot of poetry slam kind of blew up right around that time and a lot of underground hip-hop and we live in minneapolis so underground hip-hop is like a massive deal here so if you're artistic and you but i felt i didn't feel like it was my voice i didn't feel like it was my scene i felt like everybody was i mean like in this point i hadn't transitioned yep so there was definitely a stigma about lesbian like super dykey lesbian oh yeah rappers um and I couldn't crack, I couldn't crack through. I think maybe my confidence and you're all alone on stage. And that like, I almost forgot about that. Cause you did have a few different like live gigs where you were kind of like doing the MC stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was more spoken word, but yeah, but it was over a track Yeah, and it was, you know, I still do one of them. I mean, it's like, I, I feel really proud that I was able, that I was able to do any of it at all with how little I really understood about that world. Um, but it just didn't, it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. And I could, I listened to so many different styles of mainstream, you know, it, I, you know, I don't listen to like right. uh, weird noisy stuff just because I'm not that kind of guy, yep. but I, I listened to 
hip hop and I listen to pop music and I listen to classic rock and I listen to alternative rock and garage rock and lots of rock, lots of punk rock. Like mm -hmm. rock and roll is kind of my favorite thing, but lots of different genres of it. Oh yeah. And um, so I was like, well, I don't, I don't play any instruments, which there is kind of another thing where it's like, oh, if you don't play instruments, then you're not a real musician. Yep. But I can sing. Mm -hmm. Like I can actually sing and I, I can write and lyrics are my true love. So any excuse to get lyrics of any genre out on paper, on a stage, behind a microphone, I'm going to take it. And folk punk was just kind of coming up against me, had released some really great demos. Um, there was a lifter puller too, right? They're not really folk punk. They're fantastic. That's that's more turn back now. That's more when I like got, got oh, into got like you. bar band stuff. Okay. But when I was working with Patrick Callen at first, um, he just started coming over with his acoustic, and we would listen to Anya DeFranco, and we'd listen to the Misfits, and we'd listen to the Replacements, and um, and we would write songs about what it was like to live downtown when you didn't have any money, and you were mm -hmm. young, and you were too young to drink, and you just needed cigarettes and toilet paper and you couldn't afford them, you know? Yep. And uh, we wrote a really fun record called the Park Sig Sessions that we recorded with uh, Brian Mingy. Oh, yeah. At IPR. Yep. And, I almost forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that record, um, like we brought it to a party in Rochester that yeah. Nemo came to. I remember you, that. No, I was there. You were there. Yeah. Okay, there so like- Two people. Two the people. people who live there. I still get people who that got circulated to. Really? Saying, oh my God, you're from Flynn Effect. From that? From that dinky little night where the two people, it was supposed to be a party. There's a bunch of people in the kitchen. There's a bunch of right. people in the kitchen that weren't hanging out that like, yep. and then they all had access to our record. So it got played and then it got passed around because the scene in Rochester is pretty small. That's crazy. So I still, you know, people who live in the cities every once in a while, they be like, oh, yeah, you you did that. You did the park sessions. That was you. And that, that's always that's a pretty cool. That's crazy. That's, that's dope. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like listening to that record at all, but. I bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My voice was really pretty. My Dude, old old stuff for like, I can't listen to the very first project that you were actually actually helped me with. What was it? Was it uh, I Want You To Say Whoa? Was, was that what it was called? My my project. I want you to say whoa. Yeah, and that was my first high school project that nobody will hear unless you've already heard it. And if you have a copy, burn it. Um, Don't burn it. Don't listen to it. Crush double it. it crush pass it, it around. Throw it away. <laughs> throw it. <laughs> That's just my homie Grace and her oh sister my... May. I think Dude, she's don't gay. Even, don't even quote it, man. Like, no, <laughs> nobody will fucking. It's not hear that a shit. cursed object. It's fine. It's awful. <laughs> it's, it just makes me so uncomfortable when I hear it. I mean, even like I came out with an album, Mr. Nice Guy, that was like the namesake. I of have my, five copies sitting inside on my desk right now. Really? I do. The namesake. Yes, I have like five copies and you're never getting them back. They're mine. I, I don't care about that. That's that's fine. <laughs> well, Mr. Nice Guy, like there's tracks on there that still hold up like that I can still fuck with. Well, it's your namesake. There's stuff on there that makes me cringe. It's where you got the name Nice Minds. But yeah, Nice Minds, Nice, nice Guy, Guy Entertainment. Entertainment. Yeah, all that stuff. It's it's where it all blossomed from. Um, I mean, that that some of that stuff still holds up definitely, but I definitely understand what you're talking about with the... The earlier stuff, how it's hard to listen to sometimes. It's just like cringy. Yeah, just some of it because I was so earnest. I, and I think that that is your problem, like listening to yourself from high school maybe, is that you're so sincere. Yeah. Um, And it's really hard listening to your own sincerity. 
Um, but there's a couple songs off of that record that I still do, that I still perform. Oh, really? Yeah, That's Baby Keep up. Your Shoes On became one of oh, Turnback yep, Now's favorite, yep. most required. Like, I still do Baby Keep Your Shoes On. So, anyway, we did Flynn Effect, and it was good, but... I almost forgot about the Flynn Effect name until you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. Um, so, I got married at, like, 19, and... Uh, me and the guy I was writing with, we were kind of going in different directions. We were having a hard time communicating. And some things happened. Um, and as and I, I started transitioning. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really feel comfortable singing while my voice was changing and whatever. Well, I was figuring all that out. So um, I moved to New Orleans to try and save my relationship. And I moved. Oh, I almost forgot about this band. I moved with uh, my friends Devin and Shane and Devin's girlfriend Rachel and my ex. Uh, and uh, we were called Daddy Buffins and his train of muffins. I remember that name. Crazy. I haven't yeah. heard that in years. I still, yeah, I haven't said it out loud in That's years. That's crazy. That's a cursed object. But um, the, uh, we still do, Turn Back Now did a bunch of songs from that too for a long time. So when most of the people I was living with uh develop coke habits and i did not and i couldn't get a job because i was this like did you ever try coke yeah not not there i never did i Uh, I only did gummies sure (laughs) i don't because you know i don't like i i have a personality that it like i have never been able to quit smoking and i just like really like smoking weed (laughs) like you know but i um I don't put things up my nose because I don't like the person that I am and I don't like to be around other people when they are. Like when I think about it later, I just feel bad and I would rather not, so I don't. Word. Years later, I find out people who who did that or do that that I had no idea, you know, and I'm like, I was just, I've always had a like healthy fear of, of most drugs. I don't really want to talk about club drugs too much, but we can. Um, Oh, no, that's cool. I mean, we could just breeze right by it. But. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, everybody and my the person I was with left me uh, and, and, you know, she came back and left again. And there was a bunch of bunch of drama. But essentially, I couldn't get a job. I was um, miserably depressed. Most of the people around me were on cocaine or drunk all the time. And I just still needed cigarettes, toilet paper. and I was trying to find dog food for my dogs. So my mom bought me a plane ticket home. Um, Patrick came, had come to visit, and he was like, "You, you not, you do not belong in this situation. This is horrible. You are miserable. Like, like you can't stay. If you come back, you can be in this band with me." <clears throat> At the time, he was calling it the Patrick Callan Band. Uh, we we did some old Flynn Effect songs that were pretty fun. Um, but then, you know, the same kind of problems came up and he was like, you can have this band. And he he went off to Portland and Devin came back and he joined the band and this guy, Justin um, and David. Um, and I was that lineup lasted almost five years. And that was, you know, meeting my current wife was in that time period and yep. my first tours and, you know, cutting my first really good records my the first couple of eps we did i'm very proud of um and like i you know i i i be like i i grew up i i became a man i started yeah. be, feeling like 
this is how I take care of myself and this is how I take care of my family. I was able to get work and, um, and, and have a pretty good run at that band. We wrote a lot of songs. Um, the lineup changed a bunch of times. The last lineup, the last lineup was my friend, uh, Nate, uh, Justin was the only other kind of remaining person from that initial lineup. Um, and then Colby and, uh, our friend Alex, who moved to New Orleans himself during coronavirus. Uh, so, so turn back now was, was from 2008 until 2020. And yep. it's, um, that was, you had a long run with that. I had a long, really good run with that. I a lot of, met a lot of great people who I love to shout out. Uh, the one other person that was in that band that I really want to mention is Matt Jarvie and Rachel, Rachel Curtin was also in that, in that band. Oh yeah. Uh, before we started working together with uh, Twin Cities Bridge Club, which is uh, me and Rachel, um, just me and her and a guitar. That's your current stuff. That's our current stuff. Nice. That's what's up. Yeah, it's it's crazy because, I mean, we, even though we, um, we didn't really see each other a lot after, like, um, after, like, tw- 20, 2009-ish, probably? The last time I saw you for a really long time was at like Big V's. That's right. With, and that was ten right. years ago. Yep. That was right when I started dating Becky. Yeah. And it was right when I had started dating Meg. Yep. We kinda had these parallels in like our adulthood where like we were just kind of, you know, separate but kinda on the same sort of path to like growing up essentially. Right. Even though we didn't see each other for you know, it's been few and far between. Well, it took us both a long time to get our driver's license. Yeah. It took us both. How a long... old were you when you got your driver's license? Uh, you got yours before mine, but like. Oh. I was 26. So, yeah, then it was right. You couldn't have been because you got you got your driver's license before me. Maybe 25. You, you were probably 25 because so I was like, well, it was right. I was 25. Yeah. OK. So it was right before me then. Yeah. Because I remember you rolling up to my house and me being like, I still don't have mine. And I think it was like the summer before, right? I got it November of 2010. Oh, November. Okay. I like, I, my, like I got my license like the day before this first snowfall. <laughs> and <laughs> my girlfriend, my, now my wife, my girlfriend was like, I'm going to let you drive my car, but God help, if you crash my car. She was so, she was so worried. That's insane. <laughs> I, I didn't realize. So it was only three months then because I yeah. got mine the following February. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I, because I remember you rolling up to, you might, but you drove a little bit before you even had a driver's license, though, didn't you? Uh, well, I had a permit and I had people with me, and they they wanted okay. me to practice. So, maybe, so maybe I that would, was then, yeah, yeah, I would, you, would you know, up. I would drive. I would, I spent that whole summer learning right. to drive, okay, and I spent a lot of time with Nate. And me and Nate came and saw you. Yep, I remember. Okay, yeah, it must have been Nate, and yeah, because I remember you rolling up or Justin. Yeah, I mean, because I, I was for what it was part of my anxiety. I was just like deathly afraid of driving for like. 10 years it was fucking weird like, yeah I, I don't know i don't know why i don't know what it was that like i can't even like as somebody who's driven now like had a driver's license for over 10 years i can't imagine my life without it like it's just it's weird right well and i had you know it had been hard for me to get my driver's license in high school for various reasons um that were kind of beyond my control but the the truth was I lived in the city and I could take the bus. 
Oh yeah. That's you know, true. and I I didn't have the kind of job where I could save up for a car because rent is so expensive and groceries are so yep. expensive and weed is so expensive and like life is life so is expensive. expensive. Yeah. So like I, um, yeah, I I got like once and also I was really crazy unstable. My mom died right at the end of my like right, like a year after she flew me back home. Yeah. She flew me back home and then she died a year later basically. What year was it? Uh she died February 2009. Oh, okay. Cuz I I remember meeting her like 2004ish, 5ish probably. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was like 4 years later. Mm. Yeah. Um so it was just I was really unstable. I was really unhappy. Basically, once once I felt really comfortable moving around in the world with a beard and I had a band and then I had like a best friend who wasn't an asshole, you know, that would help me drive and like would take me around to find job applications and like just somebody who was stable and normal and like good. Nate, you're just so good, man. I, I love, love you, buddy. Um, the you know, all of these things that have been obstacles. I mean, I guess that's what people talk about when they mean privilege, right? If you just had somebody to give you a hand and like sit with you and do it and like help you help you get through it, yep. Um, then you can accomplish so much more, and then all right. of a sudden you you have some level of independence. I failed like seven times, something ridiculous, like because you were so. I bet, like, I just bet it was nerves oh my too. Because it was, so it was all nerves. It was all nerves. <laughs> it was ridiculous, dude. I mean, it was insane. And then I met my girlfriend Becky. And that's what really drove me to be, to be like, I need this. And I think I only failed after like I've started dating Becky. I think I, I failed like one or maybe two other times. But I think it was just one other time when I tried because I didn't try to take the test for like 10 years. Like I, I tried a bunch when I was like 17, 18, between like 17 and 19. And I just gave up until like, you know, I met Becky and I was like, OK, this chick has her shit together. I need to get my shit together. You had that sweet little Impala, too, once you finally did yeah, start driving. Yep. And then I had the Impala, which ended up being a fucking money pit. It was, oh, God. I don't even want to think about the Impala anymore. But, Aww. yeah, it it looked good, at least. It was pretty sweet. But it's just crazy because we, yeah, we had our, like, we came up kind of at the same time, but just separate. And fucking miss you, bro. Yeah. Like, I just miss you. Like, how how is how was 2020 for you? Uh, So, we... Got pregnant with our second right before, Mm -hmm. right before. Um, And um, so like that kind of took some of the pressure off because it was like, oh, well, we're nesting and we're home. It sucked because our basement had flooded a couple years ago. And so like like we were everyone was crammed onto one floor of the house, like all of the major living was going on on one floor of the Mm -hmm what is designed to be a two floor house. Um, so there was a little bit of cabin fever in that respect. And I, I lost my band, which was, uh, I, I mean, I really only touched on it sort of briefly, but like what was one of the most important things were like, that was college for me. That was like, you know, my first love basically was yeah. that band. And so losing it was incredibly painful. Um, so when you say losing it, like what happened? Well, our drummer, who's also from the South, like me, decided that he couldn't do a COVID winter and he left 
and we hadn't been getting together to practice and I'm kind of juggling two kids and I was working full time and uh, we, me and my wife were both working from home and it was really me. Like oh, okay. I, I sat with it and sat with it and um, you know, everybody's getting side projects and, uh, and, and it was sort of time to let go. I stopped running nice entertainment as a label at the same time. And I just like clicked in my brain that like that happened too last year. Yeah. And we all still love each other and like we still work together. Yeah. Uh aside from working with the Twin Cities Bridge Club with Rachel, uh Rachel, Colby, Justin, our friend Claire, our friend Andrew, and Nate are are all in something called the Cicada Collective, which for the moment is mostly covers and then like everybody kind of does their originals. You know, so we do a great big set. Um, we all still kind of play together, but it's not it's not turn back now, which was like this rowdy concept band yeah. bar band. We had comic books. Um, yeah, that comic book stuff was dope. Yeah, Colby Colby Swanson, he is amazing, and he is still doing art. And uh, go check him out. I'll have B put him in the show notes. Definitely, yeah. Give me all the links. Hell yeah. Yeah, and it was just like, okay, well, are we really going to go back to, like, well, this is going to require practice three times a week, comic stuff once a week, merch meetings twice a month. It's going to require, yeah. like, being a full-time thing and, like, to do what we really want to do, which is this sort of, like, Star Wars-level epic. Yep. Um. So I just said, you know, I've already started writing the story that I was writing, like, as a novel. I think that might be a better way to get the story out. And... So I still have it and like, you know, we can still play those songs and do that stuff because we're all still together. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not the, it's not the same. It's not turn back now. That was. Yep. This. Um, but like being cozy at home actually was kind of tight. Yeah. This is just, you know, yeah. the worst breakup I've ever been through. <laughs> Definitely. I understand that. Yeah. I mean, when I think back to 2020, it's it's actually bittersweet for me. I mean, because, you know, um, it was my last year with my mom. Yeah. Um, and before um, before she passed, I mean, before she got sick again, she was doing really well all through 2020. It was like because she went through her cancer, mm -hmm. um, had her treatment uh, in 2019. Um, and the treatment just so happened to be something that stripped away all her immunities. Um, and then a fucking pandemic hits. But. I had a really, you know, great, like I, I stayed with, you know, my parents um, during that time. And like, I was overly careful, um, you know, around my mom and stuff. And we were like all really nervous, but like, it was, it was cool. I just got to kick it with her. She was a wonderful person. Yeah. She's, she was amazing, man. I, I haven't, I mean, I did like a solo episode and I, where I kind of went in depth about everything, but um, I, I haven't really touched on it very much other than that one episode. So like my whole memory of last year is just like like i said like bittersweet yeah it makes me sad it makes me happy it, yeah it um it's it's all of that and it's it was just like a huge growing year from for me i think i i think that if it weren't for because because you know 2019 was devastating for me with my mom's treatment and she was in the hospital for like 50 days and i had just a, a string of bad luck stuff happen i got sick um my car crapped out just a bunch of my fucking had like three thousand dollars worth of stuff stolen from me oh um, yeah i remember that just just 
2019 and 2021 have been the worst years of my life. But 2020 was in between that, and it was actually like pretty good because I was just kind of like I was healing from all the bullshit of 2019, and like I you know did a lot of reflecting and working on myself, and I really do think it was all to prepare me for what I ended up having to go through this year with you know what happened with my mom getting sick again and you know passing and all that stuff um because it was obviously it was like the worst it was the worst thing i've ever fucking went through i mean the last four months i think the last month i've been finally like coming to some sort of like finally finding a balance again sure. and like able to to kind of get back to doing what i love like get get back to the podcast and sure get back to uh, some freelance work again and um, just working on me again. And um, yeah, dude, it's just, um, it's, it's just been a mind fuck for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's that when I flew home from my mom's funeral in 2009, I turned around and I went and played a show at the dinky tower. Oh really? <laughs> yes. Long live the dinky tower. That was a great venue. Hell that yeah. and uptown bar, man. Yep. God bless the Uptown yeah. Bar. <sighs> yeah. R.I.P. to those venues, man. Great times. Great times. Great it's times. fine that Big V's is gone, though. Yeah. Oh, is it gone now? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. 2020 was bananas. Yo, yeah. Yeah. 2020 was fucking insane. Like, all around, it was just fucking crazy. I mean, as much as, like, like I said, like, it was a bittersweet year. Like for me, I mean, personally, like I got to spend like a lot of time with my mom, but at the same time, it's like the world was on fucking fire, bro. Like straight up. Like it was, it was yeah, fucking insanity. I mean, I still feel like it's on fire, but um, yeah, there's so many moving pieces. Um, and like so many conspiracy theories that have just like a little teeny piece of truth in them. But, like, you can't, like, there's too many facts for anybody to really get their whole head around. Yep. And trying to stay really present and trying to stay really kind yep. and trying to stay really, like, uh, sober-minded and not let yourself get, like, spun off onto into despair or into rage and, like, to really hold space for other people and, like, what they're experiencing and, like, kind of all this collective trauma that... Yeah that isn't just happening now, but is like things that people never dealt with from years ago yep. that they spent a whole year inside having to process through. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's been pretty cool uh, to watch some people do that. And I think it's been really hard to watch the people whose pain is just too loud and whose like ignorance is just too willful. Yeah. Um, who, I don't I don't exactly know the right word. I don't exactly no, know the right word well for said, what I'm though. talking about, but like it it's just it's sort of painful for people who choose to ignore um human rights. Yep. It all boils to gay rights, abortions rights and women's rights, yep. the rights of black people and Pacific Islanders indigenous. and indigenous people and other people of color and yep. immigrants and children yep. uh, and people with severe illnesses or chronic pain or with neurotypical experiences of the world. Like all of those boil down to human rights. Um, 
and like we've all been living on a screen where the person you're talking to isn't real. Yeah. Like the person you're talking to is not real. So you're not thinking like, oh, you have human rights that you deserve. And some of those people are actually bots, right? Like some of them are robots that have been like programmed to fight with you and fuck with shit and like make people mad. Which makes things even worse. Is there a lot of bots that, that do that? Like, well, I haven't really haven't heard a lot about that. Yeah, yeah in 20, there's like the, a lot of the meme generation that was around the 2020 election when everything was really polarized. Yeah. A lot of that was coming from fucking oh, bots. From fucking bots. Yeah. Damn. So it's, I mean, well, and that gets into global, like all of it's connected, right? Like that's the also like why it's so hard to get your mind around. Yep. And so, like, trying to remember that there are real people there that are going through real experiences, and then there are also, like, fake people that are just trying to, like... Stir the pot and right. fuck um, shit up. I don't know that any one person can can do it, right? Can can actually be okay right now. Right. That doesn't mean we're not trying. That yeah. not, doesn't mean we're not in these streets trying. Yep. Um, Facts. It, it just means that, like... That's exhausting. And when you're dealing with like collective trauma and personal trauma and like, you know, you're trying to work your job and you're trying to remember to eat right. And you're trying to quit smoking and like, yeah, you can't, like, how do you do it? Yep. Fucking exhausting. Like I'm, I'm exhausted, bro. Like, I mean, like when you asked earlier before when we were setting up, you're like, I can't remember what you said, but you're like, are you all right, bro? And I'm like, yes and no. (laughs) Like, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm okay, but no, I'm not okay. And that's like, the best way to sum it up is just like I'm exhausted, you know, from like every fucking thing. Still crushing it. Thank you. You are as well. I appreciate you. <laughs> you know, we try. We try. We try. We've, we've always been trying. We've, basically... al- we've always been trying. And we, I mean, you started a little like political chat that kept us all sane during the um, the election times because <laughs> we are both, and I'm. I don't even care who the fuck sees this. We are very both. We are both very anti-trump um yes but also fuck biden yeah but that's another conversation yeah it's very hard yeah it's too hard it's too hard (sighs) it's all so hard right now (laughs) also everybody just keep trying yeah (laughs) try to stay kind you you've always kind of leaned to this nice guy thing and i know that like part of that was like a response to um you know you weren't very aggressive and you didn't want to battle rap and you didn't want to diss people and you weren't yep. like about being mean. Right. Right. And the opposite of mean is nice, but you're actually kind. Yeah. And, um, a lot of shit has been going around about kindness. And so I don't mean this on like a superficial meme sort of level. I mean like true, the decision to attempt, I fail at this. So I'm not, this isn't me preaching. This is, this is just like, a, a deeply held belief that I have is that when somebody is actively trying to be kind and trying to see other people's perspectives and trying to make space, hold space for there to be, um, to hold more than one thing that is true in your mind at a time, that that's rare, uh, which is why I'm glad we've always stayed friends. Yeah, me too. And that's what I've always tried to, I, yeah, I think that's the b- biggest part of me is like, I've always wanted to, see from other people's perspective because i've always not always but i mean especially in like the last however many years i've I've definitely recognized my privilege as like a cis white dude suburban you know like i've lived under my parents roof sure. you know a lot of the time and all that stuff um i definitely recognize my privilege and i've always wanted to remain empathetic and remained kind and just know that like 
my my experience is not everybody else's experience you know and um my experience is is it's just not what everybody else experiences and you know you i think that's the biggest fault of a lot of people in the world is um not being empathetic and not you know putting yourselves in other people's shoes and um well i mean the the, god the hard part with that right now though right is that there are people who are like well what about my right to hate you and yeah yeah, um that's the other side of it i can't hold space for that because i'm too tired i'm too tired i have i have tried you know, I've tried performance art and I've tried, you know, just like people killing people with kindness and whatever. But like I'm too there are too many uh, indigenous women going missing and yeah. uh, black transgender women being murdered and um, on it. I'm like, I mean, you, you everybody knows the litany at this point. If you're listening to nice minds, you are probably of a certain procl- probably of a certain persuasion and proclivity uh politically so like you all know all of the things that i could list here it's uh the (sighs) there's too much pain in the world to make space for hate yep facts so it's hard right because then because like there's all those devil's advocate people who are like they're they're sex trafficking babies and it's like you know the problem with what you're saying right now is that it's true but you've chosen Donald Trump as your lord and savior right. of the like as the like, <laughs> like savior the and salvation of and, like, child rape victims like just stop you just please. stop it like really the delusion man the delusion but it's not like that is the delusion but the but that's what i meant by like there's a little bit of truth you know because it's true well yeah yeah <laughs> The, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, that is that is what you're saying. I mean, because yeah, obviously, like, <laughs> fucking child sex trafficking is a fucking it's real, real. And Ashton Kutcher left Hollywood horrible. to go combat it. Yeah, for real. That's a real thing that happened. That is not something I'm making up. Yeah, you know. So, uh, but the, but the fact that they put Donald Trump as like this, as like, the head of the, the head of the, like the evangelical church, he's the, the pope of the evangelicals. I also don't know how that happened. I don't I don't understand how that happened. Like it's 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 insanity. Like the the delusion. This is 2020 for me. Our little group that we started yeah. was basically because uh I was just like uh, I mean uh, essentially what it was was something bad's going to happen and what that and and I said that in the summer. Something bad's going to happen. I just want a place where we can all come say, "Oh my god, look at all of the things that are on fire. What do we do? What do we do?" And so everybody else in the group could be like, "Hey, it's cool." calm down but the whole reason was because i was like something bad's gonna happen so i'm gonna get these like-minded people together to just try and help each other and uh sort of like a men's group it was almost like a men's bible study but specifically about memes and crazy news articles that we were looking at and um i just couldn't keep up with it like every time i checked it it was like a million fucking things (laughs) so i would like read something like oh i got i got this to do (laughs) so like but what ended ended up it ended up being the thing that I had been dreading was January sixth. That was the, that was exactly what the concern yeah. was, and that also happened this year. Yep. If we're if we're like, or last year, God, it was this, this year. year. It was this year. That was that yeah, was twenty twenty one. It was it was twenty twenty. Yeah. It was you know. It was the post twenty twenty wreckage aftermath. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That 
shit was fucking nutty, and they're still fucking figuring shit out from all that. Like, and I feel like it won't stop for a long time until it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, but that's like nine eleven, which also happened when we were in high school. Whoo boy, twenty fucking years, man. That's insane. Yeah, uh, that is insane. Nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna let that thought go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we can definitely move on. Um, so what? I mean, so what are you working on right now that you're really excited? You guys just put out a a, a record, right? Yeah. So, um, I'm a little bit preoccupied with the Bible as a text and as a, a, you know, a book and as a love letter and as poetry and whatever. There's five women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus and all of them have these banana stories. Like one of them had to pretend to be a hooker so that she could fuck her father-in-law so that he could impregnate her because his two previous sons who had married her had died because they wouldn't impregnate her. And then she had to trick him so that she could inherit, like so that she would not be a beggar on the street. Wow. She's the first woman mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. So like, uh, and all the stories are like that. They're like all five of them are pretty, pretty much. I mean, they're not quite that lascivious, but they're, um, they're all like, yes, she was a sex worker and she like smuggled these spies out of Jericho. And like, you know, there was a, uh, it doesn't, it, it, I mean, you go look it up. Uh, but the, um, the, the, the record is called the cost of fruit. And we just recorded that. I'm also working in the Cicada Collective. Uh, I'm working on, I don't know, probably a short story. And I'm working on a longer novel. Um, but, yeah, that's, mostly I'm trying to keep my head above water. Yep, that's dope. But, yeah, your faith has always been a huge part of your life. And you've always held it really close to you. And, um I know, I know you've been like in and out of it, but you've always really, uh, it, you, you've taught me a lot about faith. I feel like I was only out of it very briefly. And, and that was kind of a reaction to, um, what I understood about God versus what I was being told by the church, all of the American kind of denominations at large. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And then, (laughs) Uh, I, I guess what I would say is that God confronted me in this really like personal way. And, um, like I haven't, I haven't been able to, like it has been, you can't prove your faith, right? Like Mm -hmm. faith is a relationship that you're having with something that you can't see yep, and that you just sort of have to trust is there. Yep. And, um, but the reality of the application of that faith in the way that my life has transformed when I seek kindness, when I seek justice, when I seek joy, when I seek peace, when I live in grace, when I live in salvation. Um, the idea that forgiveness isn't just a thing that you say, but it's like an attitude that you have towards people. Mm -hmm. Um, my life is radically different than when I don't live that way. So it's not just that, like, I've always been pretty deep in my faith. It's that my faith has been tested. Um, and it turns out uh, that 
everything that I was running from, I was right to run from and everything that like had brought me to that point in the first place, like is like is real in a, in more than just words on a page sort of way, but in like an actual physical, like love is a physical presence in my life. Peace is a physical is like not just something that you say, but it is an actual state that you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and is actually something that can happen to you and can happen to you more than once. And that's, that's radical. I mean, that's radical. It's been radical in my life. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause I mean, you know me, I, I, I still feel like I haven't quite like found exactly what I believe in when it comes to that stuff. But I've, I've always, I've never been, I've never been atheist. I could, I don't think I could ever call myself atheist. Happy agnostic. Happy agnostic. Exactly. That's a, that's a very, cause I, I am agnostic. That's always what I, or what I've come to terms with over the last like 10, 15 years about myself. Um, and I'm, I'm still waiting for that, like, holy shit, this is what I believe in moment. Um, bec- but what you seek is peace and joy and justice. Yes. And so those are the things that you get. Yes. So I think if you seek God's face, God reveals their face to you. But I think if you seek justice and mercy and joy, that those things do come to you. And I mean, I can't, I mean, maybe you're just a happy agnostic and that's fine. Like, that's just, that's it. But you actively um, seek the qualities and values uh, that the God that I believe in says that he is and that we're supposed to emulate. And I would say that your life and your um, work and your relationships with people reflects that love that you have in general for people absolutely that's that's a really good way and flattering way to put it i appreciate that um because yeah i mean that's that's totally true and then that's what i what i love about people that i know like you mingy i mean my brother now it's nothing but but good in their lives and but it's all the bullshit around it that that has kept me from like being like this is the truth like the you're going to hell if you don't believe god loves you but only if you believe in him like oh like that well i mean that's that ties in with what we were talking about earlier but i mean a lot of that has to do with classism and power yeah a lot of that has to do with political power a lot of that has to do with money um and god isn't about that right so uh you know we're told I mean, that was part of my big problem with the church is that I was told not to pick and choose about how God felt about gayness, even though I have read enough um, scholarship that I don't think that that translation actually holds that God is punishing people for falling in love and finding a partner and being together. I just yep. don't. Um, I see, that's where but, that's what I think, too. Right. But, you know, you read certainly translations of the Bible and that's that sort of I mean, you have unfortunately you have to dig a little bit deeper in order to really grasp the like, you know, this is the context of the time and these people were doing these sorts of rituals and these rituals involved like, you know, molesting boys and like, you know, God was saying, don't do that. Yeah. You know, but then those same people would turn around and would love money more than people, which God says is the root of evil. Mm-hmm. is the love of money. And he says the most important thing other than loving him is to love your neighbor. If like loving him, you know, is something that's hard for whatever reason, like the second best thing that we can do as people is to love our neighbor. And I mean, in Acts, what that means is like 
you know, feeding the hungry and tending the sick and loving the poor and like the oppressed and the downtrodden and, and seeking justice and seeking mercy and like, you know, all that. Yep. Yeah, that's biblical. Yep. The you know the stuff about like. I I mean, I really, I could hijack the whole podcast right now to go on a rant about this, but I don't feel like it would be productive. So um, suffice to say, like, I understand people's object, your objections. I understand your objections to like what the church, which is like a deceptive thing too, because there's the Catholic church and these evangelicals and there's the Methodist and there's the Baptist and, you know, and all that is really aside from Catholicism is really only like American Christianity that we're talking about when we have that yeah. conversation um, that is abominable, that yeah. is sinful, that mm -hmm. is like the Pharisees in Jesus time. Then like, you know, the Pharisees that were like turning the temple into a mall and um, you know, yelling at sex workers and widows and beggars and saying, Oh, get a job. You know, those are the same, the same people from Jesus time to now. That's exactly the same. Yeah. And, um, Jesus wasn't about that. Yeah. And that's the amazing part. That's the amazing part and the part that keeps getting missed. But like I said, like I have always admired that you carry yourself with your faith. Well, thank you. And I think we should move on because I will start rambling on about end times prophecy as it relates to like my my faith and like nobody needs to hear that right now. <laughs> I, I always love hearing about it, but I mean... That's... I'll do a follow-up. If you really want to talk about it, I'll do a follow-up. Sounds good, you. yeah, because I'm always into I, – I just I, – I love talking about it and hearing about it and just learning about it in general because I just I, – I feel like I still don't know enough about it, and I have a hard time – I have a hard time with reading, like, Bibles and, you know, different scriptures and stuff like that and um, just the way that it's written. And I know that there's, like, translations um, that I could get, but um, – I just have always had a hard time like actually like, reading it. And so talking about it and hearing about it helps, you know, me like understand it. I always wanted to be a preacher, but I don't actually want to be a preacher. I don't think, cause I don't want to have to like the, the actual employment of ministry is, yeah is so different from my like actual interests other than like ministering to people who need it. That um, makes sense. The the yeah the the sort of administrative side of it I I don't not sure I would be great at but right um I want to make room in the dialogue right in like the dialogue of like our generation for people who do love God but like they aren't assholes to have room or like. Or like people who were in the church and raised in the church and like there was something there for them, but they got chased out for whatever reason or they mm -hmm. had to decide because it, like they all they they were taught about love, but all they saw was hate. Yep. Um, so that is that is my artistic objective at the moment is just to kind of try and make room for people to have conversation without it having to be about politics and having it have to be about anything other than like, Hey, like love is real and mm -hmm. God is real. And like, like we are able to be exactly who we are in the world 
um, and still take the Bible literally. Yeah. And still like take miracles literally and like to take God literally and not as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Because the way that a lot of people have responded to the church is just to say, oh, you had a lot of good ideas, but most of them are metaphors for something else. But that there is power in the active relationship of our relationship uh, to the text of the Bible and our relationship to God. And that empowers us to move through the world um, with grace. Yeah. We definitely got a lot heavier than I even anticipated that we would, but that's the nature of this podcast, bro. It's very loose. It's very uh, informal, and I I, I appreciate everything that you know you shared. Um, I mean, we've been running for a little bit over an hour, but we'll definitely do a follow up. Um, well, do you have any last words for the people? Like, do you have any last things you want to say to tie all this up? Um. Yeah, check out Colby Swanson. He's going to be in the notes. Check out Omni Nagasi and Jesse Hedman. They're going to be in the notes. Our friends from high school, Carrie O'Halloran and Dane Schneider, are putting out a book of poetry and art. Um, the Words I Save from the Drain, I believe is what it's called, but I'll double-check on that. Word. Um, go check out Twin Cities Bridge Club. We are on Instagram. We are on Bandcamp. You can go get our EP if you're interested in that. I want to shout out Rachel Gurton, um, my dear friend and music partner. Uh, your voice makes mine better. And um, everybody else I mentioned in Cicada Collective, mwah, I love y'all. Thanks for having me. Fuck yeah. Thank you for joining me, man. Uh, I mean, we'll definitely do another one. I definitely want to follow up with you uh, sometime, probably early 2022 or something. See where uh, the journey takes you. And I, I hope that we actually find a way to collaborate more again i would love to um because i definitely would love to get your songwriting abilities on some stuff keep crushing it you keep crushing it you keep crushing it and everybody else keep listening to nice minds um because it's nice when things are nice hell yeah thank you appreciate you love you love you